Bibles with you this morning, please open them up to Jeremiah chapter 5. I'll be reading verses 20 through 31 and be reading from the King James Version. Declare this in the house of Jacob and publish it in Judah, saying, Hear now this, O foolish people, and without understanding, which have eyes and see not, which have ears and hear not. Fear ye not me, saith the Lord, Will ye not tremble at my presence, which have placed the sand for the bound of the sea by a perpetual decree that it cannot pass it? And though the waves thereof toss themselves, yet can they not, they not prevail. Though they roar, yet can they not pass over it. But this people hath a revolting and rebellious heart. They are revolted and gone. Neither say they in, in their heart, let us now fear the Lord our God, that giveth rain both the former and the latter in his season. He reserveth unto us the appointed weeks of the harvest. Your iniquities have turned away these things, and your sins have withholden good things from you. From among my people are found wicked men. They lay wait as he that setteth snares. They set a trap. They catch men. As a cage is full of birds, so are their houses full of deceit. Therefore they are become great, and waxeth rich. They are waxen fat, they shine. Yea, they overpass the deeds of the wicked. They judge not the cause, they, the cause of the fatherless. Yet they prosper, and the right of the needy do they not judge. Shall I not visit for these things, saith the Lord? Shall not my soul be avenged on such a nation as this? A wonderful and horrible thing is committed in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests bear rule by their means. And my people love to have it so. And what will ye do in the end thereof? This morning we're going to look at the idea and talk about the concept of the path to departure. That's what I've entitled this sermon this morning, and we're going to look at it in the context of physical Israel and the things in which uh, they participated, the, uh, the context in which they lived, and the choices that they made. As Jeremiah's statement unfolds, as it is read, it is clear that Israel did not begin its relationship with God in error. They were not defiant to God in the beginning, but that is exactly how their relationship ended. And it took just a little bit at a time, over a period of 2,500 years, before that relationship was ended. And all along that time, they walked this path of eternal destruction. And it was over the course of a period of time that they began to slowly change. But that's exactly how it happens, isn't it? Congregations of the Lord's people in our modern times do not go from being faithful to, to next Sunday being unfaithful. It happens over a period of time and over a, a course of walking the paths on which they have chosen. Jesus warned us about choosing the correct way, didn't He? We read it in Matthew seven thirteen through 14. He talks about entering in at the, uh, at the straight gate because wide is the gate and broad is the way, he said, that leads unto destruction. He said there were many that would enter in at that gate. 
And then he admonished his people. He said, But you go in to the narrow gate, the narrow way, the straight gate. He said, Few are there who will find that path. But he warned us that we were to choose that path. And it's up to us, isn't it? We make the choice. Israel made the choice. And we look at the Bible and it's full of choices. Examples of people choosing this path or or that path. To me, one of the greatest examples of this can be found in Genesis 24, 1-8. That's the account of Abraham choosing his wise and faithful servant to go back to the homeland out of the land of Canaan and go find a wife for his son Isaac. He was going to go all the way back. He wasn't, didn't want Isaac to have a wife from the land of Canaan. And we see that as he chose this servant, the servant had a few questions, but then he chose to abide by what his master had asked him to do. Think about it. Would it not have been infinitely easier for Abraham to have simply found a wife for his son Isaac from among the people with whom he lived and with whom he knew. Wouldn't that have been easier? Well, sure it would have been easier. Of course it would have been easier, but he didn't choose to do that. He chose to do what God had asked him to do. Now let's notice the servant. He had been assigned the task of finding a matrimonial needle in a haystack, wasn't he? He was going to go miles and miles and days and days and days upon days traveling back to Ur to find a wife for Isaac. Not only was he to find a wife, he was to find the perfect wife. And on top of that was to convince her to leave her home, to travel back with a man she had never met, to go marry a man she had never met. But we know how, how that choice went. And that brings us to Rebecca. She lived with her father. She lived with her family. She had a life there. She was comfortable there. And she was asked to leave everything that she knew, everything that was familiar, to go and marry someone that she would meet when she got there. Well, we all make those choices. Maybe not those exact choices. But we make similar choices in life, don't we? Abraham chose to obey God's directive that his family was not to intermarry with the people of the land of Canaan. And he chose to do that. His servant chose to accept a very challenging request to go find a woman and to bring her back. And of course, Rebecca, she had to make a, she had to make a decision that would affect the rest of her life. But she chose to trust the servant of Abraham whose God was her God. And she chose to allow God to guide her. And that's what she did. Now that piece of history reminds us that nothing is too difficult. And why in the world physical Israel during the time of Jeremiah could not recall those very facts. Do you remember the slogan... Have it your way. Burger joint, go in, have it your way, right? Our culture demands choice like that. 
They want to have the freedom of choice, precisely what we want, exactly when we want it. And that choice isn't bad. I, I like choice. I like options. I like to do that. But one national coffee chain has been purported to be able to serve your morning cup of coffee in 19,000 different ways. Can you believe that? Now those choices are insignificant. You go to the hamburger joint, you get the hamburger the way you want it. I don't blame anybody for wanting to do that. I, I like my hamburger a certain way. I like my cup of coffee a certain way. But you know those choices are insignificant, aren't they? We're going to make some choices in this life that determine the course of our lifetime, both physically and spiritually, in time and in eternity. When we think of this idea of a coffee shop being able to give you 19,000 different choices, and then we want to think about what God would have us to do, when we look at the idea of trust and obey, that kind of goes together like coffee and cream, doesn't it? We look at Abraham, the servant. We look at Rebecca. They all trusted and obeyed God. Yet every day we face situations in this life that almost seems to ignore simple solution. That perhaps there maybe isn't even a simple solution. We are faced with a myriad of difficult choices throughout our lives. Some of us may face the aspect of trying to determine the care for a sick child the care for a sick parent, leaving all that we know for an opportunity somewhere where we are not familiar with the area or the people. That's a difficult choice, isn't it? We're faced with them. Sometimes we're faced with following God even when the outcome doesn't seem certain and when the right choice is frightening. But we still have to do it. We might even toss and turn at night, never finding peace with the choices with which we are faced. But not always. So how do we choose? How do we choose properly? How do we determine the right choice? Well, the answer is provided for us. We listen to what God has to say. We study His Word. He's provided for us all things that provide uh, pertain unto life and godliness, Peter said. We may even seek trusted counsel, pray about it, and then choose that choice and trust God for the outcome. Will we have it our way or will we have it God's way? The weeping prophet Jeremiah, he was sent to warn the people, you better come back to God. You better get off the path to departure and get back on the path to God. You know, his pleas and his tears... They can be seen in the books of Jeremiah and Lamentations. His heartfelt desire. As we examine his writings, we come across a very typical statement that is made. Jeremiah 2, verse 32. The question is asked, Can a maid forget her ornaments or a bride her attire? Yet my people have forgotten me days without number. Then we see a very graphic statement found in Jeremiah 2 verse 13. For my people have committed two evils, he says. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and have hewn out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. That's a very graphic statement on the, the attitude that these people had toward God. 
Well, the obvious problem is they chose the wrong path, didn't they? They chose what they wanted. They wanted to have it their way instead of God's way. And that's why Jeremiah prayed, Jeremiah 10, 23, and he talked about man not being able to guide his own steps. He said it's not even in him to be able to do that. Man's history is full of poor decisions made by leaders and different people. And they've suffered for that. They stand in direct contradiction to what God has instructed. So as we look at this passage of Scripture, and we want to make some kind of application because without that it does us no good, I want us to notice the pattern of Israel's departure. It didn't happen overnight. But it did happen And we need to apply it to spiritual Israel today because in a lot of places it continues to happen. In trying to bring back his people, Jeremiah recorded for us God's declaration. That's our first point. Now I want us to understand to whom Jeremiah was writing, to whom God was speaking. He wasn't speaking to those who had departed. He was talking to the faithful. That's often overlooked, isn't it? He was talking to the faithful. He wanted them to deliver a message to those who had left God. He wanted to warn them of coming judgment. He wanted them to repent and come back to God. He's talking to the faithful. He was looking for those men and those women who still had the proper welfare of Israel in mind. The ones that still loved God and His people. And he wanted them to declare this childish behavior that had been going on as sinful and against what God wanted. But when we look at this idea, we need to understand, what does it mean to be faithful? At first, we look at that and and we think, well, that's easy. We do what God wants us to do. Well, that is the, the simple answer, isn't it? But being faithful means choosing the right path. Every time. Now think about that for a moment. Choosing the right path even when the wrong one is easier. When we think of living in this life, I've often heard it uh, described as walking the path of this life. I think that's appropriate. But are we ever on just one path? We're on a series of paths, aren't we? From one path right to the next We're not on one path. If we were on one path, there'd be no choice to make, would there? You're walking along and we'll go left or we'll go right, we'll go straight, then we'll turn one way or the other and it's just one path right after the next. So what does it mean to be faithful? Choosing the right path each time. Not choosing the right path all the way up to a point where we really want something really badly and then we choose the wrong path. That's not being faithful. Faithful is choosing that right path every single time. Notice what Paul commanded Timothy in in the context of preaching God's Word, 2 Timothy 4, 2-4. He said, Preach the Word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort, with all longsuffering and doctrine. He says, Because the time will come when they won't endure sound doctrine. What they're going to do, though, is after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. 
So when we look at this idea of being faithful all the time, I think we can use this example of Timothy's preaching, but exactly what did Paul mean? Well, to be instant means to be ready, to stand by and to be attentive at the opportunities to preach the gospel of Christ. That obligation rests on all of us, doesn't it? The Word, of course, is the gospel, and it's by the gospel which we guide our steps as we walk in the path. And when we come to a fork in our path, we use the gospel to determine which way we go, and that is faithfulness, isn't it? I think it is sad when you have leaders and preachers who they want to, want to substitute their ideas and their opinions in place of God's Word. When we look at this declaration, God is talking to the faithful. But He gave them a mission. And their mission was to rebuke the foolish. Because that's what it is, isn't it? It's foolishness when we do not do what God has asked us to do. God said, describing His people, He said, They have eyes, they can't see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. They didn't want to see or hear the wisdom in God's Word, did they? They chose not to do that. That was their choice as they walked their path. They didn't fear God. He said, He asked, are, are, They're not going to fear me, the one who set the boundaries of the sea? The one who doesn't allow the waters to flood the rest of the world? And it just happens that way? Well, no, God is the source. He used the word me here to place an emphasis onto who they were to look and who they were to appreciate. Jeremiah previously pointed out the people through their foolishness had brought upon themselves disasters. Terrible things had happened because of their refusal to do what God asked them to do. Jeremiah 4, 18 through 22. He showed how their refusal did bring about and would continue to bring about punishments. God provided all of these things. Now He's going to take it away. And it all came about for a reason. And they needed to get in gear. They needed to get their heads going in the right direction. They needed to understand and look at this declaration that Jeremiah was making at the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But then we have to understand, why was it necessary to even make the declaration in the first place? Well, because of the elimination of God in the lives of His people. That's our second point. What a callous heart it must have taken to have rebelled against God, the one who had provided all of these things. And what a rebellious or a callous heart it continues to take for someone to rebel against God. Notice, they had all the evidences. We might say all the evidence is in the world, right? Because it was the world that provides initial evidence that God is alive. They had nature. They saw how things were maintained year after year, season after season. They provided, or they were provided rain and sunshine. But they were destitute of understanding. They weren't interested. They wanted to do what they wanted to do. I want us to know also when people decide to circumvent God's commandments, He will ask a question. We see some questions asked in our passage this morning. But I want us to notice some other passages 
where God asked a question. Notice Job 38 verse 4. In Job, not, not trying to circumvent God's power, but not understanding and, and making some accusation toward God, God asked, Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? He said, Declare it if you have understanding. In essence, he was saying, Job, you appear to understand so much. You've laid these accusations at my foot. I don't think he did it intentionally. He just was not understanding. But it doesn't matter. So God said, if you have so much understanding and you can declare your wisdom, where were you when I created the world? Job was nowhere to be found, was he? He goes on, he says, verse 8, Who shut up the sea with doors when it broke forth as if it had issued out of a womb? You're so wise, Job. Okay, you can't tell me where you were when I created the world. Well, well explain to me how I keep the sea from ushing, uh, rushing forward. How do I do that? He didn't have an answer for that either. When we go back and we look at our passage and the things with which Jeremiah was dealing, he made the point if, if the power of nature cannot rebel against God, and it cannot, do the people really believe they can? They ought to know better than that, right? He's shown power and love through this general providence. The people had the evidences and they ignored it. It can happen in the spiritual realm also. We've been given the evidences and we can ignore that. God provides a, a great harvest for us spiritually, doesn't He? All we have to do is go harvest it. You remember when Jesus made the statement, He said, Lift up your eyes and behold the harvest. It's, the fields are white unto harvest. He didn't ask for a harvest, did He? The harvest was there. He asked for laborers, for workers to go out. Paul said, talking about God delivering the harvest, talking about if we will just work in the vineyard, we can have a harvest. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 7. Paul said, So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Jesus didn't pray for a harvest. We ought to pray for workers, right? Because the harvest is there. It's there for our taking. But people have stubborn and rebellious tendencies. They don't want to listen to God because of His elimination in our lives. But why was it that people were rebellious? Why was Israel rebellious? Why are people rebellious today? Because they're reprobate. They've turned away from God. They've fallen from the position which they were blessed with. And because of that, God has withdrawn His blessings. Now, of course, in the, in the modern age, He doesn't affect us through a miraculous means. I think certainly through special providence, He works in the world and through general providence. But in our context, He withdrew their blessings because of their insolence. Among the people, as Jeremiah described them, were those men who caught birds for a living. Those men were known as fowlers. And what a fowler would do, they would take a cage and, and they would trick the other birds into coming to them. They would take tame birds or domesticated birds and put them in the cage and set them out 
And the wild birds would come thinking everything was okay, but it wasn't what it appeared. And they would catch those unsuspecting birds. He said, that's what the people do. That's what the leadership is doing. That's what the priests are doing. They're telling you something and it is not what it appears. And they were being caught unaware. You know, Jeremiah talked about that same approach and it happens in the spiritual realm, not just physically. People are good at presenting themselves as something they are not, aren't they? That's what Paul said when talking about Satan, 2 Corinthians 11 verse 14. He said, don't marvel, don't be shocked, in other words, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. See, that's what happens in the world. Using this same technique, that's happening in our very city right now, isn't it? We've been having this issue with Boyd Buchanan School. They're presenting something that it is not what it appears. And that's sad. It's deceitful to do those things and the guilty are going to be brought in judgment before God. God said He would give Israel up because of the sins of Jeroboam who did sin, 1 Kings 14.6, and made Israel to sin. See, that's a, that's a very important application we ought to make in what's happening in our city and what's happening all over the world. Not only will the person who commits the sin be found guilty and answer for that sin, but the one who helped them to sin in that way. If someone trains you or teaches you that our sisters can lead in a public way, they're causing that person to sin. Now, the one that does it is going to answer, but so is the one who encourages it. We see that in Romans 1 verse 32. God's declaration and His elimination from the heart's of the people brought about our third point, his determination of judgment. And he asked a rhetorical question. Now he's going to avenge his honor. And so he asked, he says, Shall I not punish them for these things, saith the Lord? Shall I not revenge myself on such a nation as this? Verse 29. Well, of course he's going to punish. Of course he'll punish the insubordinate and the wicked and the sinful. What in the world would make them think otherwise? They'd seen all of the ways in which God dealt with man and what His nature was and and His character all down through life. And we come into the Christian age and God's character hasn't changed. His ways hasn't changed. So why in the world would we think today that we can get by with doing something that God has strictly commanded us not to do? Well, they were using their own wisdom back in Jeremiah's day. That continues to happen in our own time. When we look in 1 Corinthians 1, 18-21, we see that passage where Paul is talking about the preaching of the cross and how the people of the world view it as foolishness because it just doesn't stack up to their wisdom. But he said, for those of us who are saved, it is the power of God unto salvation. When men believe that their wisdom is greater than God's wisdom, terrible things begin to happen, and He will punish accordingly. And that makes them foolish. I believe their actions can be better understood if we take just a moment and define the Hebrew words used in our translation. Now the idea 
of those who had rebelled against God, not only did they refuse to obey God, but they turned a disadvantage for the people into their own advantage financially. Now this phrase, they surpass the deeds of the wicked, literally translated says they pass over deeds of evil. Now did they not plead God's cause? Did they just allow the guilty to continue in what they were doing? Either way, it's not what God wanted. And because of their behavior, Jeremiah asked a question. He said, do, they, do the people really believe that God is just going to overlook this? That He's not going to do something about it? Well, of course He's not going to do that. In fact, this sin that God was going to avenge is described as astonishing. Beyond belief. I can't believe they were doing it. In fact, the leaders were appalling in their actions. And the reaction of the people showed just how far it had gone and just how bad it was. The indictment of verse 31 places the responsibility and the guilt firmly on the shoulders of their religious leaders. The priests, the prophets. Notice again what the phrase intends the words and the priests ruled by their own power can have various translations the literal meaning is upon their hand they felt like they had the power in their hand to do what they wanted to do the power had been usurped from god the priests ruled by their own power by the power of their hand maybe the the prophets had directed the priest to do wrong. Maybe the priest felt, and I'm sure this was the case, that there was no greater authority than them. They could do simply what they wanted to. And so we see a sinful situation, and it was very popular with the people. They loved it. That's why it was astonishing. Maybe the saddest question asked throughout our passage this morning is the one where Jeremiah asked, but what will you do in the end? You've chosen the wrong path. You've usurped God's authority. You've eliminated Him from your life. So, understanding all of that, and considering God's character, God's nature, God's just and righteousness, what will you do in the end? There's always going to be an end. There's always going to be a judgment. Jesus warned, Matthew 16, 27, For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of His Father with His angels, and then He shall reward every man according to His works. Reward isn't always good. Sometimes we are rewarded punishment. But that will be according to our own works. In the context of Jeremiah, the people refused to obey God. They refused to repent. So an army from the north was going to come and lay siege to the city. They had rejected God, His wise counsel. They had ignored His pleas from the prophets. And the rebellious spirit of spiritual Israel will suffer in the same way. If we allow it to happen. See, that's what happens. That's the path to departure. So what do we do? We look at what had happened in the past and we say, I don't want that to happen to me. 
I don't want to depart from God. See, the simple plea of God through Jeremiah was this, Jeremiah 6.16, Ask for the old paths. Where is the good way? And walk therein, and ye shall find rest for your souls. But the sad reply for physical Israel was this, We will not walk therein. That was the challenge that Israel faced, and that was their answer. And that's what happened. So I think what we need to do today, make some kind of application. We need to ask that same question. And what's our answer today? Are we going to seek the old paths and follow the teachings of Jesus? This doctrine that's been around for 2,000 years, are we going to be like many among us who decided that now they found a better way? Let's walk in His paths. Let's follow His teachings. Let's have the faith that comes from His Word and the strength to stand up and say, no, we won't do that. We will continue on the old paths. We need to serve and glorify God and wear His name. We need to wear His name. And we need to do it in such a way that makes Him proud and happy that we're doing that. If you've never obeyed the gospel, you're not wearing His name today, do it. Put on Christ's name in initial obedience, following the pattern of salvation through faith and repentance, confession that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, immersion in water, so that our sins can be washed away and we can stand before God blameless, living a faithful life. But sometimes, like Israel did, they got off the path, they chose the wrong path, made a wrong choice, a poor, a poor choice in the direction in which they wanted to go. Now, we need to be unlike them. Ultimately, they never did come back to God. Some of them did. Some of them obeyed the gospel and they made that transition from the old law into the new law just like God had intended all along. But most of them did not. But we can. We can turn around or make a different choice and and God can forgive us of the sins that we've committed if we will only ask Him through repentance and confession. If you have need to answer this Lord's invitation this morning, do that as we stand and as we sing.